Merkel Media. Welcome back to another motherfucking episode of Kill the Mockingbirds with your host, Sean Chris, Joel Thomas, in Bohemian Grove hunting down the Adrenochrome Bandit. Oh my god, I think there's some big dude behind a tree. It's Alex Jones! It's Alex Jones, man! Somehow we got in here, he slipped past every single body and was never seen. This is crazy, man. But you know why I'm not seen? Because I'm almost transparent. I'm a ginger. I'm off the Nephilim blood, baby. Brad! Brad! No! Words are bullshit! <laughs> <laughs> what is up y'all you know we're back uh hunting and gunning getting that website ready to go pretty soon i would say like summertime really look forward to killthemockingbirds.com but for now you can still check us out at kill the mockingbirds podcast on instagram kill the mockingbirds on telegram and you know leave us a five-star review get that review read on the show and uh we'll give you guys a shout out yeah for sure and since we're on that five-star review tip i'm gonna read one this week because we, we we've been getting some really good ones, Sean. You know, yeah. You know, we we get support. we get some butt cheeks tight ones though. We get those nice one stars, <laughs> but you know we've been getting some great five star reviews. Um, we got this one right here. I'm leaving another five stars for my boys. I don't know how you leave two sets of five stars, but if you can do it, Mockingbirds for life. How can I get my mind blown and my butt cheeks tight at the same time? I love this show. Clearly, they listen to the show if they're talking about butt cheeks tight because we keep them tight around here all week long. And on that note, while you're listening to the show, it's super easy. You can literally give us a five-star review and type up a review on Apple right now while you're listening. Or if you listen on Spotify, you can actually comment on the show. And we always got a cool little poll that we do uh, every week on whatever show that it is. Generally, it's pretty funny. So you guys get a chance to vote on that. So do that right now. Five-star review all the way around. And check out all of the music, Sean Chris, Joel Thomas on every streaming platform. Yeah, that's right. Now, guys, we have got a super, super fire guest in the studio. This is Thomas from Paranoid American. And I want to set it up first because I just dropped a single called Eat. And a lot of you guys have heard the single uh, and if you've seen the music video on the channel Paranormal American, that's because Thomas made the video with all his AI massive knowledge in the interwebs. Uh, he did a great job on it. He and I are going to be collabing on a lot of really dope stuff in the future, too. But I'm going to set him up there because he is a absolute genius with a lot of the stuff that he does. What's up, brother? What up, what up, what up? Hey, guys, thank you, man. What a fucking uh, hype little intro that you got going for me. So, yeah, if, if you've seen the the Eat video, that's a video that I made with Joel. It's uh, all AI produced, basically. He sent me one picture, right? You sent me the track, you sent me the lyrics, and you sent me, uh, like, a couple selfies of you in, like, the bathroom mirror or something. And everything else from that was just all AI generated with a whole bunch of different 
fancy names that I'm not going to get all nerded out, but you can see that one. You can see a whole bunch of other ones that I've been posting on my YouTube. We just got like a measly little 500 followers. So hit me up on YouTube at Paranoid American. Give that one a follow. I'm going to start dropping some more AI narrated documentaries. I got one starring LeVar Burton from Reading Rainbow. He's going to drop the whole history of like occult owl symbolism. We got some with Robert Stack from Unsolved Mysteries. So yeah, if that sounds interesting, yeah, hit the head up. And uh, and uh, you might know me also outside of my AI memes and uh, and music videos. I've been publishing comic books for the last ten years since 2012. So this is my big one: is the Paranoid Pamphlet at mkultracomic.com. And uh, I got a whole bunch of other ones. I've been working on a comic with Juan called The Chosen One. I've got uh, coloring books. That have got, you know, American cryptids and paranoid portraits with Tron's universe, who does artwork for the whole community as well. We got stickers from Bags Draws. Uh, here's the Bohemian Grove playset sticker and the, uh, the the Build and Smash World's Fair Plaster of Paris sticker. Uh, a whole bunch, man. I don't want to go and just like turn this into a whole advertisement. But I've been doing this thing for a really long time. I've been, you know, deep in a conspiracy since the 90s. And I've been just fascinated with almost looking at conspiracy theories as the most modern version of mythology that we've got. We're not going to have someone that writes a new odyssey, right? We're not going to get a new Iliad, uh, but we do got Alex Jones coming up with theories that kind of permeate and then, you know, turn normal people into, you know, almost like walking demons with supernatural powers. And we're going to get into a lot of that today, but I really do feel like what we're discussing right now is way more serious than just kind of like jokes and laughs. We're talking about, something someone's going to read in a hundred or 200 years from now and almost look at it like, wow, these people believe this, this, these were their gods, you know, these were their demons. So I, I think that like, I, I give it that kind of respect it deserves, uh, but we're also going to do some dick jokes. So that's how it works. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta have, it's not the, you know, cause you don't want to be all like, Oh man, I'm going to die. I'd be like, Hey, but if, if I'm about to die and someone tells me something funny, I'm gonna be like, you might hey, die man, in a funny way. Like someone will get a, a laugh out of yeah. it somehow. <laughs> <laughs> you will still contribute positively <laughs> somehow. Yeah, for sure. And we're really happy to have you on here. So today we're going to tap into a subject that Sean and I, it tends to get interwoven into a lot of the stuff we talk about every now and then. But we've never done like a, just a whole episode on you gotta hit him with that man yeah you're right we never really you know nobody i don't think anybody goes like a few people like don't dive straight up into it. it's usually like part of the story right like hey they kidnap kids but this is what they're doing and it's like into the back burner and like people kind of know about it but not the whole details of exactly what entails of what adrenochrome is. So I'm curious, what do you guys think adrenochrome, before we even get into anything, like what's your impression just going in blind? Yeah, I guess for me, I mean, I know it's a real thing. It's a real compound. It occurs in the body. Uh, I know some people uh, mid 20th century, they said it could play a role in schizophrenia. And I mean, obviously we know about Aldous Huxley, who wrote Brave New World, Doors of Perception, which Doors of Perception, he was talking about how he's tripping on masculine and all that. And he tied that into 
adrenochrome in, in a way, right? If if I'm right. Yeah, I mean, uh, you, you're Hunter already Stone. like, you're in like the top 1% of people that have even cared enough to look that far into it. Yeah, so Doors of Perception was sort of where the word adrenochrome became even, I, I want to say popular, but where it even became known outside of just like medical fields and people specifically researching schizophrenia. So if you if you weren't in that field and you didn't read Doors of Perception, you never would have heard of adrenochrome. And then it kind of made its way into pop culture. So now, you know, fast forward 100 years, now a lot of people have heard of it. But when you say it, it doesn't just mean the one chemical. It definitely doesn't mean just the thing Huxley was talking about. And it definitely doesn't mean the medical version. It, it's like, it means Pizzagate and QAnon and like the Red Shoe Club. It means all of these different things. You can't just say that word and put it out there and just like, like leave, leave it on the table. Like it didn't just invite a whole bunch of friends, right? Especially the Q, man, right? That's the hue, uh, like Q and Adrenochrome go hand in hand with the, the Clintons and the Clinton body count and, and you know, the the whole deal of all the kids that they've rounded up throughout the years. And like you said, Pizzagate, like that is the, synonymous together, right? Like you think of Q, you think Adrenochrome, you think Pizzagate, those three things are like kind of like entangled together. So, and this is kind of where I started out. And again, like I've been publishing comics for since 2012 uh, when I was working at Disney, I worked there for 10 years and that's where I got the bug to like keep doing what I was doing there, but do it in like a personal way. And one of the, the stories that I wanted to write was about a bunch of kids that order adrenochrome on the dark web and they end up doing it and it gives them dot, dot, dot. And that's where I was kind of thinking like, well, what does it actually do in real life? You know, so I started doing a little bit of investigation and that just turned into like two to three to four years of like a crazy rabbit hole. The comic definitely never even got started. Like once I started looking into it. I decided, you know, I actually want to maybe write a, a real book on this, not just leave it to like a fictional story, but there's, there's not a single definitive guide, even like an article, you know what I mean? Like none of them actually cover the discovery, why to get its name, who knows about it? What are the tests? You know, what, what happened to it between the 1950s and today? Uh, so that's, that's kind of like the angle I started at. It was completely fictional. And then it turned into like, well, I'm going to disprove all of these crazy theories about you know it's a psychedelic and that um you know it's linked to satanism somehow and you know it, it all just sounded so damn silly so that's almost my approach on all my research like i, I work in comic books so i know what i'm going to be writing is already going to be silly but i want it to be backed by real facts names dates you know verified sources so that even if you're if you're laughing at it, I can say, yeah, yeah, funny, right? Well, that's true. You know what I mean? Like, like my, my series Time Samplers, it's about the the founding of the Federal Reserve, but it's also about psychedelic time travel, and it's also about a nude Alexander Graham Bell that created like these hybrid sheeple that that serve the rich people, and all that sounds silly, but Alexander Graham Bell really was a nudist of his day. He really did do uh, genetic experiments on sheep. He really was a member of the Jekyll Island Hunt Club. So even though the pieces that I tie together, the strings themselves might be like a little bit silly and fictional, like all those characters are real and the places are real and everything. Uh, so, so that's where I started with Adrenochrome 2. And this one kind of shocked me because the more I started looking into the most fantastical claims about it, I'm not going to say they're all like true the way that you hear them, you know, just out on the surface, but there's so much more legit connections that that make you know all the claims a little bit more uh i guess 
more understandable and it gives them a little bit more credit, just not in the way that, you know, QAnon might say. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that too. I, I think that, and the tough thing is, and Sean and I talk about this on the show a lot of the time, all the time, is they don't tell us the truth, right? So we have to try to figure out the truth. And what's going to happen when you're trying to figure out the truth? You're going to go to the furthest reaches possible, the most fantastical places. And yeah, like you said, there's some level of credence to as you start digging, but it started from that place and then it ended up somewhere completely different in a lot of these stories. And I think that happens across the board um, with, with a lot of different conspiracies that are out there. So I completely agree with you on that too. Or lure in general. Like if you think about like vampires, for yeah, instance, man. right? Like the, the whole yeah, life man. of vampires, like, you know, I, I don't remember the queen's name, but there was a specific queen that like was so powerful. And then she like, you know, started seeing women. She wanted everything and she had gone through all that. So she started drinking blood. Now you then you do have a real Dracula and you start piecing these strings and you put it all in one pot and then they're and then over time people think Dracula, vampire, it's a guy that lives, blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? So these characteristics do exist, but they're not always in the same person or the same realm. They just kind of mash them together. Dude, I mean, you're you're so damn close on that too, man. Uh like uh, and I've got all those names. I don't know if I can be able to pull them up on real time as we we hit them, but that's a, a very key. And like Vlad the Impeller is another good example. Um, and there's there's all sorts of these examples of bloodletting and blood magic, and you can trace this back so that the the other claim too is that the elites that they all worship these ancient pagan gods. So now you have to have a decent understanding of Sumerian gods and Canaanite gods and Babylonian gods, um, you know, and and Phoenician gods. And it's true, you actually do need to know some of that in order to explain some of these modern day references to all of them. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, I agree with that too. I was doing a bunch of research earlier today. Um, uh, really Sumerian and a lot of Nephilim stuff. So well, I was definitely well. You you opened up with joking about um, Bohemian Grove and Alex Jones, right? Uh, and and that one was one of the the first things that really uh, hooked my attention. Like I think late nineties, early two thousands. And I remember one of the, the things that came out of that that I was really critical for the longest time was that he references the owl there as Moloch, uh, even though Moloch is uh, typically looked at as a big bull statue and that it, it kind of has a completely different connotation than the owl that they were doing in this cremation of care. But it's another one of those things that even even like the, the technical aspect of it's not really Moloch, but the symbol that it represents and that, you know. Uh, burning a human person to the gods to like alleviate sort of like it gets the pressure off you it's like oh here's your penance you know uh thank you so much for everything you've done here's our sacrifice to you and it gets the god off your back for a year and kind of like shows this appreciation that is moloch worship and that is ball worship uh so even though like the name rubbed me the wrong way when i first heard about that just like so many things it comes full circle and it's, and it's like okay that actually was legit and this, I mean, if you go with like the Franklin scandal research, um, that's kind of the link between, say, Bohemian Grove and modern day Pizzagate. You know, that's like this little key that fits in between there. And that people like to forget to mention because uh, nowadays it's only, oh, the Democrats are the only ones, sickos that are after kids. And like, 
You're like, whoa, whoa, man. Like, I think you missed a whole portion of history that, like, you just, because it's not your, it's your team, right? When it's your team, they're like, oh, no, no, man, they're good, bro. Like, and when you bring up, like, Franklin Scandal and all that, like, and little boys, man, it's not like, you know what I mean? It gets weirder. Like, everybody thinks it's all, and then now people, especially in, like, the Q crowd, like to say, yeah, it is the Democrats, and it's, like, the Bush family ties, right? They don't, they try to, like, distinguish, like, almost other Republicans are good, but, yeah, we concede that the bushes were not so great but then they still like reagan and you're like well reagan had some it's you know what i mean it's just this weird effect i mean you say reagan um lawrence king who was at the center of of that franklin scandal and conspiracy of silence and all that he's the one that sang at the republican national convention and right after that convention they went to an after party that was hosted by nancy um uh nancy reagan and, and ronald reagan's daughter i can't remember her first name um, but it was basically Reagan and, you know, um, Lawrence King hosting this after party for the Republicans. So, yeah, it, w- it wasn't just the Bush family. It wasn't just like these one little one offs here and there. It was just a whole nother Epstein operation. And the Epstein operation uh, was just run by some people that either didn't get caught or there was a guy that actually ended up committing suicide in the Ritz Carlton Hotel room that might have been like the Epstein of that situation. But it's. It's the same thing, just playing itself out in a different decade. The lizard people versus the Illuminati right now. You know what I mean? They're just like, they're, everybody's fighting each other. That's how I look at it. all of it. It's all like different factions, right? Different teams are going at it all the time. Like it, it's the only thing that makes logical sense. And I think the mold too, man. The mold, the, the mold people are like, you know, the Mother Earth sort of factions. Yeah, yeah, and, not you just. Know, you got everyone. <laughs> Or you got the ICP too, right? In <laughs> right. Clown Posse, like inside job. <laughs> yeah, that uh They're the finance. <laughs> yeah, that one episode though where uh Keanu Reeves was the uh vampire, the vampire episode, and then they had all the actors, uh Leonardo DiCaprio and Nick Cage, which I think is funny because Nick Cage is playing Dracula in that Renfield film that's just just came out, and I'm like is he playing himself maybe like in real life too? <laughs> so yeah, I, I think, uh, I, I think for sure, man. Um, let me ask you this, Thomas, uh, we were talking about Aldous Huxley, but you know, Hunter S Thompson was also really big in talking about adrenochrome too, man. When you think about fear and loathing in Las Vegas, when he wrote that book and he was kind of one of those other guys that was, integral in bringing it more to the mainstream audience yeah and i I can take it way back even uh before hunter s thompson uh a few steps before him but he's also uh i don't know if it's just hunter s thompson and also the director his name's uh escaping me right now the one that helped direct the movie um but they basically said that it was all fictionalized and it was made just to kind of add to the storyline and give this undertone and specifically and even in the book it mentions that you get it from Satanists and that, you know, they have to get it from like a fresh person. And it kind of, it hints at a lot of these different things. And in the movie and in the the director's voiceover, they kind of mention, okay, yeah, that was all this fictionalized thing just to add some backstory. That's not true at all. Uh, That's, that's kind of the first point when I was researching this, when I started finding earlier references to it, even in just popular media, I realized there was way more to it. And it was interesting that, the number one, you know, source, this movie, Fear and Loathing, that's probably where almost everyone's heard about this, uh, that 
that looks beyond just whatever QAnon said now. If you heard about it before QAnon was a thing, before Trump became president, right? You probably heard it because of this movie and because Johnny Depp said it. And they they mention it as though it's like the most psychedelic and the most powerful drug that they could possibly do in this movie. So when you see these two druggies do every drug known to man in this big suitcase that they're carrying around with them and they're seeing lizard people and like, you know, time space is just like bending around them. And then, you know, Johnny Depp is like timid about taking this adrenochrome substance. It makes a big impact. Uh, so, but this goes way back because Fear and Loathing was written in 1971, all right? In 1967, there was a short story called The Blood of a Wig, and that, that predates this uh, by at least four years. And in Blood of a Wig, it's about these two guys that want to break into an insane asylum and steal the blood of a schizophrenic patient, someone that wigs out, a wig. So it was known as The Blood of a Wig, and the, the idea was that not only could you get high off of this this adrenochrome rich blood but that you would be able to relive some of that person's life experiences through experiencing like their dementia it wasn't just that you were taking some drug and that drug was affecting you you were like inheriting their craziness temporarily by like a blood transfusion that was that was kind of the premise of it and then that goes back even further because blood of a wig 67 in 1962 you've got clockwork orange and even in the book not just in the movie they mentioned drenchrome as one of the uh, the drugs that's available in the, in the bar in the Maloko bar, so there's there's another reference, and that one absolutely came from Doors of Perception, and it's because the reference to Adrenochrome and Doors of Perception is basically in the same sentence as mescaline and LSD and a few others. So back at that time, everyone just kind of thought it was synonymous. You could just say any of these drugs, and you're kind of referring to psychedelics. Little did they know that Adrenochrome was this very specific. Um, you know, drug that didn't like it's similar chemically and it's similar in terms of its its uh, effects on the human body, but the the way that it's sourced is way different than the other ones. And, and how do you think it got so attached uh, to this QAnon uh, PizzaGate movie? I mean, I kind of like a little bit understand. Fear and Loathing, bro. I think it's fear like the Fear and Loathing movie. They mentioned Satanists. The book mentions Satanists. Um, and then QAnon was just fast there. You got to admit that there's this like very hard fundamentalist undertones to the whole QAnon movement, right? It's very much like Satan himself has come up from the depths of hell. And, you know, we're seeing this in Pizzagate and, and everything. And, th- and that's basically demons on earth. So if, if you're into like the fire and brimstone and like the, the white God versus the black God, and we're just in this epic battle, then all of a sudden it makes sense that, you know, you're going to be reaching and looking to the media for, you know, they oh, they've been dropping these hints, you know, here they said the Satanists are dealing in adrenochrome. So let's take that wholesale fact and just believe it a hundred percent. So, and, and I'm going to say too, like, I'm almost saying that it like it's incredulous because it sounds incredulous, but then there's some truth to it, which is freaking crazy, man. Yeah, see, that's that's what I want to dig in with you, too, because so much of the Pizzagate stuff, it was just so readily accessible. And I feel like a lot of the Pizzagate stuff was pushed to help push Trump, right? It was this whole agenda with getting that crowd on board with him being the one that's against it was very anti-Hillary. The, the, the Pizzagate Correct. was basically anti-Hillary gate to a certain extent. Right, but then there's this part of it that's true, right? So there's this part of it you start digging. Not just a part, where, bro. I'd say like right, like a the damn most, near the a whole lot thing. Of it. <laughs> yeah, most right, a lot right. of it. Yeah. 
Right. So, and and I went through the same phases, right? So I was never like an Anon. I was never one of these Q guys. I, I hated both sides. Mm-hmm. Like I, I've always been very anti-government, right? But when the Pizzagate stuff happened and I really started digging, because I went down a train with that when it first came out and I was really going deep, right? And I was finding like the videos um, and all the crazy stuff, like the kids screaming, like inside inside a comic pizza, man, with the guy sitting out in the, in the car outside and you could hear the kids screaming and just all the just wild stuff so i've even discounted all that i've I've, I've discounted all those videos and like the frazzle drip claims and like the videos that you're talking about and even discounting all that it's still crazy enough to have credit to it so i'll say that for now Okay, yeah. So let's get into that then, Thomas. Let's go. Let's go there then. So discrediting so, all the videos. Discredit. Let, let's just let's pretend that every single video that you've ever heard of, seen all the audio recordings, any kind of mo, like any images you've seen. Let's pretend all of that has been completely discredited, just for the sake of argument and to make it as hard as possible for anything else to kind of like fit together, right? So the things that are correct is that the the owner I'm, I'm almost like i don't want to say that now. i want to have people like show up my driveway but the guy that actually owned comet ping pong pizza was in like the who's to know top of washington dc despite just kind of owning a few restaurants right um so so there's absolutely a political and power connection just between him and the state uh or in you know the city slash state of dc so so that's real that's not a fabricated what else is real are all the the creepy posts of all the kids that are like taped and the jokes, the image that the guy used as a profile picture was representative of like, uh, you know, this, these Roman and Greek um, odes to, you know, simpler times they would have said when you would send your kid off to be diddled by uh, like the, the town sort of politician and in order to then elevate your family into the next status, you know, because you, you basically gave your kid to some dude. So that that's kind of his profile picture was indeed that that really is that backstory. So let's let's pretend, though, that like that doesn't mean anything. On top of that, you've got a close connection with the Podestas. And now this is where it starts getting interesting. The Podestas have an interesting uh, collection of artwork. So they're, they're connected to this art world. This is where the connection to Marina Abramovich kind of comes in and the spirit cooking. It's the art world. It's the high society elites with money or the high political capital and let's pretend at a certain point too once you've got multiple millions or once you have a certain amount of power it doesn't really matter if you're rich in terms of money or rich in terms of political capital you kind of like hit this upper echelon right you get to break through the stratosphere a little bit like you break out of the atmosphere and you can kind of like float in space with all your other space homies a little bit um so that's kind of where they they live at so the podessas have multiple cannibals uh related artworks uh, schizophrenia, dementia, sort of related artworks. They also were one of the very earliest backers of an uh, artist named Damien Hirst. And if you guys remember the Cell movie with Jennifer Lopez from like 2000 or the late 90s, uh, where she goes inside, she's like an FBI agent and goes inside this like serial killer's mind and it's got all these weird graphics. And there's this scene where a cow is in the middle of a room and these like plates of glass come and slice the cow and then they spread across and you can see like all the different insides of the cow. Well, that scene was based on artwork from Damien Hurst, who's another guy that put like sharks in formaldehyde and put that inside of a museum. It was kind of playing with these gruesome concepts of 
real life and real death, like an actual thing was living and maybe died uh, to create this artwork. Well, another one of his, one of the first things that he sold to break out into the art world was in his series of these dot paintings. And it was adrenochrome. Uh, and this is way before uh, any, any, you know, one was kind of like talking about it in popular culture, popular media. Doors of Perception had long gone. No one was really looking at adrenochrome as a psychedelic. So it was definitely this like artsy connection. So I'm just, I'm putting a couple of like the pigments out on the table or putting the colors on the palette a little bit. So you can kind of see like the colors belong on the palette. Like all these, these are real players uh, that, that tie in before QAnon or any of these conspiracy things were even a thing. Well, and that's why I think they have these uh, things pop up, right? To kind of saturate, like you can have the truth because once you taint one thing with a lie, like you said 10 things, one of them was a lie. Now everybody doesn't believe mm -hmm. the other nine things. So I think that's intentional to keep people off the tracks. Yeah, you brought up uh, Marina Abramovich. And for people that really don't know, I mean, she is a mover and shaker, especially not just the political world, but also the entertainment world, too. I mean, everybody knows that infamous scene with her and Jay-Z mm -hmm. where he's rapping in the circle and he's rapping to her. I mean, and it's almost like he's in a trance, like she's got him in a trance. And then, I mean, she's got photos with Lord Jacob Rothschild. I um, mean, she did in that In front ad. of a painting of Lucifer, you, you might add. In front of a painting of Lucifer, yes. She also was in this very short-lived Bill Gates ad for HoloLens 2 about mixed reality and and it got like what like 19k <laughs> dislikes in like a short amount of time and they literally had to pull it because people at that point in time knew who she was mm. and they were like what is going on here I mean she's been in pictures with Robert De Niro, Chris Rock, Usher, Nicki Minaj, James Franco who by the way <laughs> has been accused of how many times having sex with underage uh people uh, William Dafoe, I mean, what, Tilda Swenson, and of course, Lady Gaga. I mean, you can't forget that she wouldn't be with One of Marina. the most intense, man. With uh, Lady Gaga, one of the most intense ones. Like, if you saw, I don't know if you guys saw any of the footage that they've had, like where they had them at, her at that yes. house. She had her uh, Lady Gaga naked with a giant block of <laughs> ice on top of her. She was almost like, a, in like naked in survival mode. And I understand like the upper echelons likes to think of art like, you know, it's like, you know, this uh uh it's anything right like i i never kind of i kind of agree with that or not but like I, I remember seeing the ones videos with marina abramovich like one of her art pieces was they were just running as fast as they could into each other like just crashing two people naked crashing into each other so i think that there is this like whole torture your soul type of mentality to build you up type of deal that they wrap up in these. Cause if you see all these artists that she has around, that's what they well, there, there's an on. interesting dynamic here. And then this is going to be all speculative at this point. Like there's, there's not names, dates and events to back this up. This is just my speculation for everything I've been reading, but imagine that you're in this big place of power um, and you've got that political or that financial capital, whatever it is that separates you from all the peons that actually have to go to jail and deal with legal goal repercussions of their actions right you're in this this kind of uh realm you meet up with these like heart high art society uh like art students and like you know famous artists that are making just crazy amounts of money so they're also in the same sphere as you and if you gravitate towards the one that are into some weird kinky shit and you're like yo i got a free pass i got a few get out of jail free cards that i've been saving up i like what you do i got money you got money 
you know, let's just like do something that's way out of the norm that pushes every button. And when people get offended, we'll just say, oh, you're getting offended at art or you're getting offended at, you know, this new form of expression. And I just happen to be funding it. And so, so there's one part of it is that if I get an artist to co-sign this thing and make it so now it's like it's not a, a, a vehement, you know, like disgusting act. It's like this new artistic expression. So so. Here's that one dynamic that's floating in space. And then you've got another one on top of that where the the people in charge are like, if I can make this seem more natural, then, you know, if it comes out that I'm into this kind of thing now, you know, I've got like an out. I can say, oh, I was doing it for the art. Or I was doing it for the merit of that. And on top of that, a third dynamic is that a lot. Of, I really do believe that a lot of these people that have all this crazy, like political and social capital, they might not have that same right brain kind of creative thinking mode where they make music or artwork. So they, they might themselves realize I'm not the one that's going to create this amazing art, even though I like what this guy's doing. So I'm going to like live through him and they see themselves as like Medici's, you know, as like the original patrons of the arts and that this guy wouldn't be able to do this crazy artwork if it wasn't for me giving him the funds to facilitate it and the get out of jail free safety net to know you can just like go balls to the wall, do something that would get us both thrown in jail and I'll worry about it. I'll be your buffer. So you've got this weird dynamic where it's like, uh, like, like a sympathetic sort of connection. Like I want you to do this crazy artwork so that it then justifies that I'm into the thing that you're doing. And it also gives me credit as if I'm the artist, because you wouldn't be able to make these crazy art things that then, get used as the beacons of like, oh man, that dude just moved the goalposts. You know, he, he had someone sign their name on the bottom of it. And now all of a sudden we're allowed to like do, you know, sick shit that we weren't allowed to before. And I think that's kind of the dynamic behind this. Yeah, man, that's uh, a really good way of looking at that. You know, I never really thought about it in that aspect in the sense of they're funding something that they can't do. So they're, they're, they want to be that creative, but they can't be. So they're funding it. And this it is from the itself. 10 years of working at Disney and seeing how like the suits would come in and be like, make that, make that guy's shoes purple. And you're like, why, why would we make the guy's shoes purple? And it's because they wanted to be able, you know, at home when they're watching it on TV, be like, Hey kids, you see that character? You see how they're wearing purple shoes? I did that. You know what I mean? And now all of a sudden it's like, I made that, that the meme where like the kid, you know, the guy passes the piece of paper and he's like, Oh, I, I made this. So th there's a huge element of that to it. But, but in doing that and having their name on it and being able to say, I did that. And they really technically did do that. Now all of a sudden they're an artist and they're in the art world. Um, and even if everyone knows it's a farce, it, it provides that connection that you can print in the paper and you can put in the obituaries and everything else. So it's, it's real enough to be on paper for the rest of time. And they're not going to analyze it as much, right? Through time, you're not going to know because we're not going to, those people are all going to be dead. We can't ask them like, hey, who, it starts mel melting together where people are like, oh yeah, he painted it too. You know, like, especially if you push the different narratives out there, that's how people lose credit for a lot of inventions and, and artistic things throughout the world. Someone just takes credit for it because they funded well, it. A lot more people remember the name Medici than all the artists that they ever funded. And I think that, uh, uh, this is something that like, uh, cause you know, like that's where it's separated. Like you were saying, take making heroes, right? The, the time for the pizza gate, it's like they reintroduced it, right? Like with the Adrenochrone, it's reintroduced, uh, 
into this sphere of like now it's this political sphere and we're back to the satanic panic and it's uh you know it's god versus the the, the devil and let's get it on like what side are you on you need to pick a team now like and this adrenochrome became this whole like base of it like that it was like how they're stealing children they sacrificing them to the you know their gods and and they're drinking the blood of children right like that's how many jokes about eating babies and drinking blood of children have we heard like that came into the lexicon and it kind of re like changed everybody's whole view now on the political sphere that it was life or death, right? We're now in a thing of like, Hey, if you want to die, vote for Trump. <laughs> or if you want to die, vote for Biden, like either or, right? Like it's, it's like whoever you choose, you, you know, you're yeah, like even if you don't realize that you're voting for demons right now, yeah, like you yeah. literally just voted for yeah. a demon that's eating babies. Sorry, mom. Sorry, dad. You know, I know you have got all the good intentions, but that is a literal demon that's like emitting sulfur. <laughs> <laughs> and it was very easy too to pin that, like you said, on on uh, Hillary, because I mean, she's been nothing but <laughs> evil for how long? And it was like she, of course, drinks blood and eats babies. Like that's the easiest thing to pin on in the world, dude. As soon as I heard the eating babies from Hillary, I was like, <laughs> yeah, I knew it. Yeah. I knew it. <laughs> Like, you know what I mean? Like, you have to sell it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You, you had me instantly. Like, we don't need like, all these yeah, extra steps. We don't need all this logic and this like background <laughs> story. So, no. so, uh, so I want to like, man, it, this is where it gets kind of crazy because the, the adrenochrome didn't just come out of nowhere. The link between eating babies and Satanism didn't come out of nowhere. Didn't come out of um, pop culture in the fifties. It didn't even come out of uh, anything in like the the nineties. Like th this is a, a thing that ties back so far, and I think that the the place that makes the most sense to start with will probably be in like the late eighteen hundreds. I mean, we can go all the way back to like ancient Sumeria, but just for the concept of time, uh, and like maybe there could be like additional parts here. But let's start in the eighteen eighties or so, and this is when all of a sudden the the Western doctors started to care a little bit more about a few things first they started caring about the initial versions of like shell shock from like the original you know like civil war essentially people that were still recovering from the the civil war and they had you know forms of these dementia and it wasn't it was a special kind of dementia they called it dementia precox and that basically means like early onset dementia so this would be if you were 20 or 30 or 40 or anything under the age of of like 70 or above essentially if you started to show these signs of dementia, it was very abnormal. And, and after these huge kind of events of war, all of a sudden it spiked all across the board. You had these people that were, you know, turning into schizophrenics and having all sorts of mental issues. It was clearly from the war and, and from just like the events that had been happening. So that's, that's one aspect of it. And then the other aspect is that there's finally some kind of like intermingling between the native Americans and like the Western um, sort of, you know, Europeans and everyone else that had come to the country and this concept of mescaline, which was, you know, very like unknown, kind of ignored. They sort of looked at it as like their version of alcohol. Like they just kind of left the Native Americans alone, let them do their mescaline. But in the 1880s, they started paying a lot closer attention to it because of the connotations and the link between treating people with schizophrenia or that the, the fact that these shell-shocked war veterans we're exhibiting the same behaviors as if you were to take some of this mescaline. So here's kind of like a very early version of someone saying, Hey, you know, these schizophrenics and these dementia patients and, you know, these people in the insane asylums, 
they've got something in common worth looking at with people that take mescaline and they just temporarily exhibit the same exact behavior as someone that's, you know, being treated in a hospital. So that's, I think that's where you can kind of start this story. Uh, so, so mescaline and psychedelics being sort of like an entry point. I learned a lot about like mescaline. Uh, my buddy was super into Don Juan and uh, like uh, he, he, he was taught like the stories. He would tell me about some of the stories about like, you know, the mescaline trips that they would have. And like, you know, a lot of art is like, like, goes hand in hand like you were saying with uh the psychedelics right like it's like almost like that world meshes because it's like the middle of the spiritual elitist world like where it kind of meets right you have this tipping point so with all with uh uh this now being known with like that schizophrenia right so this 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 is not uh schizophrenia what is it to us right what is schizophrenia schizophrenia is like the meshing of the mind like is it multiple universes is it like what your mind getting mashed together and having too many thoughts like i always kind of think of like what is schizophrenia like is it in another world because i was thinking when a lot of this adrenochrome you guys were talking about and when i think of psychedelics and going into multiverse you know different versions of yourself and it's almost like you're stuck on a loop like what schizophrenia is because you you might be living everything fine because like my cousin has schizophrenia and like sometimes like the way he speaks like it's almost as if he truly like lived that life you know what i mean like he's like telling us like yeah man work at fox man look at this new trailer and he's like showing me i'm like that's youtube man but okay like you know what i mean like yeah oh you, oh you got 2.5 mil on youtube but you're just uh living in the attic all right cool like like, but it's like they're almost like i fascinated by it because it's almost like like i said like he lived that life though it's like well where did he get that concept of that person's life i know we could watch little and get a little bit by movies but it's almost like he got the whole life it's almost like he had a script and he like memorized it and then he was acting out as this person so like that just always interests me of that aspect of it let me ask you this though so you you, well you went somewhere way way crazy right there it made me think about this too so when someone takes adrenochrome do they have are they crossing over into this multiverse into this other life that they live that are living maybe parallel to what they're living now or a life that they've already lived in another dimension i mean i mean we're, we're gonna get there uh but i but I want to an- I want to give you a quick answer on that, and it's that I personally don't think that adrenochrome would be any different than mescaline in that kind of a context. If if adrenochrome can bring you to another dimension or let you live someone else's life, then so could LSD, so could mescaline, so could a whole bunch of other things. Um, so 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 1880s, all right. We we start caring about mescaline, which used to just be like this this horrible devil's root or devil's weed they had like you, you'll notice too and this isn't uh by coincidence that every sort of drug and psychedelic prior to the you know 1900 essentially they all had these colloquial names of like devil's something or other um you know so like you can almost be guaranteed that if it had the word devil or evil or like you know any any of these kind of names especially in latin if it had like diablo in the name latin then it probably got you fucked up. Like it was probably some kind of a drug. Um, and like even like nightshade and, and um, Jimson weed and like a lot of those, I mean, a lot of that was like scopolamine, which you definitely don't want to do recreationally, but it would get you fucked up. You know what I mean? So, 
Uh, so anyways, everything just got put in the one category of like bad poison devil things. And up until the 1880s, that's kind of where all of that stuff stayed. And a lot of people had no other concept of it. Um, and except for a small little group of guys that kind of were, saw themselves as carrying on as like the ancient alchemists and the ancient like herbalists that, that kind of like dabbled in these arts, like these Parakelsian arts. And one of those groups was the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. And one of their um, sort of adepts was a guy named Alistair Crowley. And his immediate sort of, um, you know, his uh, mentor, essentially, when he joined, he put him on to mescaline. And this is before anyone really knew anything about it and what it did or what it was. So you've got this very early connection with Alistair Crowley. So we'll just kind of call that like Satanism just to make it convenient here because they, it didn't really exist in that same concept. Elphus Levi had sort of uh, brought up this concept of Baphomet and the inverted pentagram. And that's where a lot of our modern day version of Satanism and Luciferianism and QAnon, Pizzagate, you know, pentagram stuff made out of pizza sauce. It kind of comes first from Elphus Levi, who was reinterpreting uh, old stories of the Knights Templar. And then Alistair Crowley kind of repopularizes this and brings it out into, you know, pop culture. And essentially that's, that's the connection without going super, super deep. You've got mescaline and schizophrenia are connected. The only people that even cared about mescaline outside of, you know, schizophrenic research were these like magicians and people that thought that they were like these like new versions of alchemists and, you know, esoteric ancient mystery cult masters. They also knew about mescaline and were using it. Uh, and then that that group kind of turns into these like dark arts, black, you know, secret societies and black magic. So there's a connection between psychedelics and, you know, Satanism. It's just because the Puritan society made everything satanic, especially if it was psychedelic related. So smooth, so crisp. There we go. Smooth, crisp butt cheeks, right? Uh, I was shaving my face. What are you shaving? Uh... Never mind. Don't answer that. I'm talking about the smooth, crisp pages of Paranormality Magazine, the premium paranormal magazine in all the world. In all the world? That sounds dope. What all is it about? It's a monthly paranormal magazine that delves into the strange world of shadow people, UFOs, and killer interviews with people like David Spinks, Alexandria Weiss, Chaz of the Dead, and many more for $7.99 a month or $127.99 for the whole year. Sean, I love reading, but I'm on the go a lot. You know, I literally hunt down these paranormal beings and cryptids for real. That's fine, too. For $3.99 a month or $24.99 a year, you can get the digital subscription. So when you run up on Dogman in the forest, you can show them what they're saying about him on the outside. I think he would love that, actually. How do I get this monthly work of art to show all my cryptid friends? Easy, bro. Just go to paranormalitymag.com or click Paranormality Magazine link in our podcast show notes and it will take you right there. Plus, you get a 10% discount on any subscription and a 30% discount on any shirt when you use the promo code BIRDKILLERS. I'm going there right now. What was that promo code again? BIRDKILLERS! 
And I've talked about it before, too, when uh, we've said, like, you know, the satanic panic with uh, all the music and rock, right? And the weed. Same thing, <laughs> the like, devil's once you weed. Bread, yeah, and the weed, lettuce. devil's lettuce. Jazz devil's cabbage. lettuce. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you get that, like, that stigma. And then sometimes what happens is it gets people more to these dark arts, which you could consider Satanism, as you said, like, because, you know, just like as an umbrella term, like, to kind of give you a side to go to. But it's more that people use these things as a rebellion, right? Because... The one side is getting overbearing, so everybody's like, oh, look at these charismatic leaders that let us do whatever we want. Well, we can do all the things that they said no to. Like, you know what I mean? And then those people at the top feel like they are superior because they have knowledge of these drugs that nobody else knows how to, you know, what they do. So they can tell you and lead you into any direction. And they feel like anytime human beings have too much knowledge, not all human beings, but certain aspects of them where they're like bogarting knowledge and they feel like they're distributing it slowly to the masses. They're, they feel this like, inf like they're like everybody else is inferior. Yeah, that, they're that the electoral elite. college they're of everything. This new one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, and there's, sorry, go ahead, Joel. Yeah. You know, I really liked how you went there with Crowley, too, because one of the things that people get confused about Crowley is that he was a Satanist. Um, Crowley was involved in a lot of things, but that really wasn't his forte, really. He was just about himself and do what thou wilt, you know, the whole nine. I'm just kind of curious, too, because, you know, if his connection with Thelma and writing the Book of the Law and meeting Iowas, I'm curious, was he... On masculine, 100%. When he was, yeah, 100%. Doing a lot he, of this stuff. he referred to it as like a, as these different code words, but I think, and I don't have the date in front of me. He's got a specific book where he finally um, announces the, the name, and the name of it was a, a name for mescaline at that time um, that, you know, was, was only kind of known by a very small amount of people. So that kind of lets you know that, oh, this book and like three or four of the ones that came before that were written under the influence of mescaline. Yeah, and I think, you know, just from what I know of, you know, being involved in the occult in the past and, and knowing how being on certain drugs can also open doorways and gateways to entities and, and those type of things. But then there's that piece of it, right, that is the drug itself making what's happening happen. Is it really the entity or is it the drug and then or is it both? And you start getting down that road too. And a lot of times when I when I read what these guys write and I hear it, you know, and I read a lot of Crowley back in the day, right? And Book of the Lie, Book of Lies was really crazy too. And it's like, is it the drug or is it the entity that they're talking to? And I, I tend to think definitely there's entities involved, but I do think that drugs do play a big part because I've done a lot of drugs in my day, and I know that some of it had nothing to do with anything connecting to anything but just being high. Like, so you know so there's mean? a subjective side of it that's only happening in your head because if you were mm -hmm. to like take whatever, put your, your psychedelic of choice and just say you took a, a heroic dose of it. In that room, if everyone else is sober, like if you're at, you know, Thanksgiving dinner with your with your Nana and Gramps and, you know, all your aunts and uncles and everything, then clearly it's it's totally a subjective experience. But five different people taking the same drug at the same time in five different places on the planet, they might be experiencing very similar things. They might be seeing the same kinds of entities. They might be having very similar conversations that 
that you're not influencing them to have that same experience as, as you are, you know what I mean? Cause you don't even know each other. And there's been so many instances on certain substances of people having like these shared hallucinations. I mean, so some anecdotal subjective ones, but like almost I've got one well, dude. I was going to say, got everyone's one. got a story where like they dropped acid <laughs> with their friend and they both saw like the exact same hallucination without telling the other person what they were seeing. Someone's like, yes. bro, did you just see like a multicolored, you know, goose on fire and be like, Whoa, I saw that exact same thing. And that happens Listen. with enough frequency that I do think that I don't know. We'll call it an entity just for convenience sake, but Totally agree. Those shared hallucinations, that's not subjective in my mind. That's an objective thing that we haven't defined yet. Absolutely, man. I remember vividly in my early 20s uh, at a ecstasy party, and this was back when ecstasy was mixed with a lot of different stuff. (laughs) So we we took several, and it was probably 50, 60 people out there. Remember what they were? Blue dolphins or fucking yellow Rolexes? These were (laughs) chocolate chips. So... (laughs) (laughs) So, so uh, we decided to take a walk in his neighborhood, got lost in his own neighborhood for like an hour and a half. Swear to God, we're looking at this house and I'm like, why are these people moving into this house at 3.30 in the morning in the dark? He's like, I don't know, man. You see him pulling that piano out of that, uh, out of that truck. I'm like, yeah, man. Why are these kids like playing around the yard? We're literally both seeing the same thing. We get close enough to where we can really readjust and understand what's going on. It's an abandoned house. Yeah. But we're seeing the exact same thing, the same people there. We both we both saw 50-foot Captain Crunch dancing in front of us. Again, not telling each other this to where it triggers the other's mind to see it. So I do think that there is that part. Like you said, those entities or whatever's connecting to you at that point is allowing you both to see the same thing because you've opened that gateway. Or it's like that 100 monkey effect, right? except you don't need as many people. And then maybe these intensify our brains to have this connection that we already have, but it really broadens the connection. You know what I mean? Like when it opens something up, which we don't know and we don't understand quite, but it seems to me that would be similar. Like where they had, you know, islands of monkeys uh, eating bananas a certain way or drinking water, changing their habitat, and then monkeys miles away that never they could there's impossible it's impossible for them to communicate with doing the same thing and, and and living the same way so i really believe that it could like empower us to really have that connection that we already have because you do know like and that's why like people that are religious are like prayers powerful because it is powerful to have a bunch of people that's why they when they say satanists are powerful it is kind of true because it's like you have these people that are connected and when they have a belief and they all are focused on these things whether consciously or, or subconsciously but they're all in that same realm of ideas they get into connect they get into connecting and i think when, that's what and we in the power. 1930s um the satanists of high society new york they would get together in manhattan and they would cast evil spells on hitler and the nazis so they saw themselves as like helping out the allies and fighting against the nazis who were true evil um, but they also were like worshipers of, you know, Lucifer and Baphomet and all this. So it's it's this interesting dynamic of like, are they still all the bad guys, even though they were technically like using magic against the Nazis or whatever. But <laughs> but, but uh, before I get too much on that tangent, I wanted to ma- and that does tie into this whole topic, by the way. But the, the one thing that we're mentioned is is we kind of started on that about knowledge lost or more specifically knowledge that was kind of being kept almost like the the movie apocalypto is one of my favorite examples the whole movie is about this dude that like 
his power revolves around understanding an eclipse and that he basically says like, I'm going to cause this eclipse to happen. And if you don't give me all this stuff, then like the sun never comes back. And like, all oh, they just because he understood this principle and no one wanted to, to, you know, step with him. No one wanted to like press their luck and like, Oh crap, I was wrong. The sun's gone now. You know what I mean? So, so, th- so <laughs> there's that aspect of it, but that's only talking about Western civilization. Um, uh, that's based in my opinion. That's kind of with like the Romans, uh, taking out the Phoenicians, wiping Carthage off the face of the planet, and every other society saying like, "Whoa, did you see what happened to Carthage?" And they're like, "What's Carthage?" And they're like, "Oh, damn! You know, this place is like legit gone from history." And that's when all of these ancient sacred rites and psychedelics and everything went underground. But then the Europeans come to the New World, and guess who's in the New World? You've got the Native Americans that are like, "I've been doing this forever. I've been going on spirit quests." You know. I've been taking this peyote. I've been doing all this. And then you've also got the explorers that are going down into Mexico, the Awaka region. They're finding magic mushrooms. They're finding salvia divinorum. And then they're eradicating them. You know what I mean? The only drugs that were left around were the ones that somehow escaped the original missionaries. Because, again, the missionaries come and be like, oh, these guys are eating these mushrooms and tripping out and talking to demons. You know, get rid of the mushrooms. Like, step one, you know, don't let them talk to these demons with these mushrooms. So, like, Salvia Divinorum is one example of the only reason it even exists. It exists in this one tiny little plot um, in Oaxaca, Mexico, only because they were able to, to hide it from the original missionaries. So, here's all this, this premise, right? So, again, 1880s, the worlds are colliding, and you've got these Native Americans and these, you know, basically Native Mexicans that are saying, no, you know, We've been doing this forever. This isn't a new thing. We already know about mental health and they're in our own little way and language. Um, so that gets suppressed. That's a big aspect of it that gets suppressed. But on the other end of this is that in 1900, I think it's like 1901, a Japanese researcher here in the United States in New York, he finally discovers how to isolate adrenaline, the, the actual chemicals produced by almost every single mammal on the planet. And by isolating adrenaline, this is a huge milestone that like it will be hard to understate this. So the discovery of adrenaline is the first example of a drug that we can source from animals. Up until that point, every other drug came from plants or it came from seeds or, you know, it was it was botany. This is the first time that now you can take an animal and extract a drug from an animal and then put that into your body and feel the effects as if it were the same. And it is the same adrenaline that comes from any other creature is the same adrenaline that you can take into your body. Um, so the, here's, here's where it gets kind of crazy is that they also start realizing that adrenaline chemically is extremely similar to mescaline and almost every other psychedelic. And that's why it's almost why all these different things work is because it's almost like they're the same keys that just have like little burrs that are off here and there. But if you kind of like, put it in the right, you know, lock and you jiggle around a little bit, it'll open the door. And that's kind of why, and I'm, I'm describing what you'd call serotonergic receptors. Um, so like anything that can go and kind of like, uh, bind with your, you know, uh, serotonin receptors. This is a, most of psychedelics, everything except for, uh, salvia divinorum that I mentioned earlier. Um, but so, so here's the connection between adrenaline psychedelics and this very important concept of a drug that comes from, blood essentially it comes from a living breathing animal up until that point before adrenaline was isolated every other drug came from a plant so it kind of opened this 
this weird little door into a whole new world. And do you think that had to do also with the natives as well? Because, you know, like, I mean, there's lure of, like, different tribes around the world uh, drinking enemies' blood to gain Absolutely, their power, man. you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, to, like, so I, is that, like, kind of on the right I, track? I do think so. And it, and it goes even to, like, children. Um, and this is where, like, instead of going on a whole dive into history, just, like, a couple of my, my favorite kind of examples, but especially in that those same regions of like Mexico and Central America, they had storm gods. And this is a weird coincidence. It comes popping up everywhere. Anytime you've got a storm god or a storm or a god of agriculture, those are the gods that people sacrifice their children to every single time. It's always going to be someone that has to do with the weather and it has to do with agriculture. Um, and in Central America specifically, they would torture kids before they sacrifice them. They would, you know, they would lash them. They would pull out their fingernails. They would do all kinds of horrible things to them because they, they would see that the tears um, that the children would cry was representing the raindrops that they wanted the gods to then like bestow on the earth and like give them a nice plentiful bounty and everything. Um, so, and, and that's mirrored in so many different cultures that goes all the way back to Samaria, like the very similar aspects of, we're going to sacrifice these um, these children to this storm god, this agricultural god, so that next year's season will be more bountiful. And and we can't just give them the, stra- the stragglers. That was actually one of the main rifts that happened in uh, earlier, you know, Canaanite sort of and Phoenician culture was that all of their little city states kind of would like falter here and there. And they were kind of like um, getting to little skirmishes that they were losing. And they would see it as that's because you guys have been like giving them your stillborns or you've been going and like kidnapping a poor kid and sacrificing that as if it was your own. Like our gods want your firstborn. They want your strong, you know, 14 year old or your strong like kid that just is about to enter puberty. They don't want the scragglers. So it was it was very serious. It wasn't just like, oh, every once in a while you throw a kid over here. It was it was like, you know, you would show that you were worth all the the power that the city was giving you by sacrificing something near and dear to you. So this goes all the way up into modern culture. It, it even kind of happens today. If you want to stretch it, there's a concept called the human pillar um, where they'll, they'll sacrifice a human in the creation of a building. They'll sometimes mix them alive with the foundation of the concrete. They still do it today in rural areas of like Malaysia, I believe. Um, but, but the concept is the same. It's that you're exchanging a dear and sacred, you know, concept of human life in order to like appease some kind of God so that an endeavor will go through. You think that like at that time, I wonder if there's like a parent that were like all hyped, like yeah, I'm about to sacrifice my kid, you know, I'm going to do it. And then the next season sucks. And they're like, hey, man, kinda, doesn't seem like, I don't know if the kids sucked or like, Hey man, is, is this working? <laughs> it's like they got competition. It's got to be an awkward moment. They got competition. <laughs> like the neighbor's like, see, I told you, you should have took my kid. If it was my you kid. Know, we're laughing about that, but you can trace this exact same practice back to the, the tale of the Minotaur. Cause the Minotaur and at Minos, um, the Minoan culture, this whole premise was that the elites of Athens would go and give like their kids off to this labyrinth, knowing that these kids were going to die. But it really was a competition. It was like, who can get the farthest into the center of the labyrinth or who can escape the Minotaur? Um, so it really was, you know, it was it was half competition, half reality show, but also absolutely child sacrifice at the exact same time. It's this honor that people get it through time, you know, like especially like 
even that you see it now, it's in different, you know, form. It's evolved into like the honor of I'm picking the right president. We're like, you didn't even do anything, man. Like you literally just went boop. <laughs> or like when my, my sports team won the Super Bowl, like bitch, what did you get wings? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, if the Raiders do win, I am not going to say because man, it's I was been a long wearing time, my socks, man, you know? bro. I wore my, my lucky socks, you know. No, but it's true though. It's like people get so attached to these things. Like even people ask me, like, and I've said it before, but like, oh, why do you like sports? I'm like, well, man. First of all, like my favorite thing that I heard, I heard Eddie Bravo say it on Tim Wyatt when he said, uh, uh, he was like. I'm so knee deep in this shit. I need something to distract me. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, hey man, I, I get mean, it. I'll, you know I'll make I mean? an argument since we're on the topic already that that all sports that we watch now are basically just representations of human sacrifice before. Um, you know, like like leave it all in the field, like and and you know, people love the blood sport, like hockey and the football and everything. But even football, like they happen in these stadiums that are just versions of coliseums, and the coliseums. Where actually people watching, you know, a lot of times Christians, but not just Christians, just people getting murdered and slaughtered because that was how they would like let out their aggressions. You know, I hate my state and I hate my neighbor and I hate everything that's going on, but I just saw that dude get ripped apart by a line and that was pretty badass. So I guess like, I guess I'll just like suck it up because I didn't get eat by a line and, and it was a good show and I got some dope bread out of it. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that it's the same concept, but that's that's the utilitarian purpose that's the the functional purpose to get people to just shut up and kind of like um you know live through vicariously these these horrible events to go on with their daily life but from a higher standpoint you would probably still have these priests that are like oh yes we only need 20 more blood sacrifices to appease our storm god uh and and this is actually this is a little bit nuts but when you get into those ancient cultures a lot of the times that they had these huge battles and and um, like blood torn war fields, those war fields were the the place where they had the crops. Um, so it wasn't just like we were going to go and fight and then everyone died and goes home. It's like you fought over that piece of land and your people died on the land, and it had this really weird um, counter effect where like all of the blood and the iron rich and the nitrogen from you know like like all this biological matter from the horrible people that had died on the field then add to the nutrients of the field and make it fertile. So it was like a self-fulfilling prophecy that the more you fought over this key piece of like golden agriculture that was like rumored to just like anything you plant there will just be the dopest, you know, the dopest crop you've ever had. But it kind of like self-enforced it because the more people you killed there, the more like nutrient rich it got. And at a certain point, it's like you're eating the blood of your ancestors when you eat that corn that grows out of the field. I'm saying corn, but you know, any other plant, essentially it literally grew off the blood of your ancestors. So there was like this very close connection and this mystical aspect. Um, and it, almost like a cannibalistic aspect that, that it's a way more nuanced than just like they were eating babies. And you know, they thought that they were eating, they yeah, were eating yeah. Kuru and eating brains and stuff. But they were proud of that, too, that to be that, you know, if you were, that was you or that was your family member, you're from that line, like you help feed everybody. And like, I do agree. That's kind of like, especially like football. And I think football and that is also like this mirror. Well, and look war, at the fascination right? like they, with they, how they green and, and how pristine the grass needs to be. It's the same exact concept mm -hmm. of like they're fighting over agricultural land. They're going to be doing blood sacrifices on this prime piece of real estate. It's just that we're so far abstracted that it's like, oh, they just want the green to look nice. And so that it's like a standard playing field 
really, I think it's a it's an ode to that original agricultural rights. You know what I mean? Hey, I totally agree with you. Um, as far as you know, like even the Israelites when they were trying to get back to the promised land, and they go in there, and there's all these giants that are in their in their land, right? You got the Elim, you got the uh, Anakim, and it is a prosperous land. They're they're shocked at mm-hmm. all of this wealth of growth going on there. I mean, they're seeing trees they've never seen before and they go through it and they end up taking down all these giants like Og and, and all these guys. And it's because that particular spot of land, and I'm connecting this to what you just said, where there's so much battle that's been in this area that it would lend to the land being fruitful back because of all of the people that have died there. Right. So, so so it's not just like someone woke up one day and was like, Hey, I think if I kill my kids, maybe like right. the plants will grow. It, it was very m- more like, Oh, we just noticed this place where everyone keeps dying and the blood keeps seeping in. That's like the dopest place to plant things. So maybe the gods want us to kill people in order to be like, that's where it started. I don't think it started from a crazy idea and then everything fit into it. It was like they were observing some weird phenomenon and they had to make sense of it. And then that's where the mythology came from. Absolutely. And just for the listeners, I tied the Nephilim back in, (laughs) even in this episode. I'll find a way. So so, so here, here's like the tiniest little link. And I want to go just all into like the historical aspect. But I think we've kind of tied in like the agricultural and like the, the child and the blood and how that all kind of ties into some of this. So the next aspect here is that adrenaline, right? So what happens when you torture someone and, and you get their blood pumping and um, people for hundreds of years, for centuries, kind of understood what they used to call the animal spirit um, and like this thing that like if you were about to get into a fight or if you had a near death experience and your body would shake and your your senses would be heightened. Everyone knew what that feeling was, but no one could put their finger on like the actual thing that was happening. So with the discovery of adrenaline, that was the thing. It was like, oh, this is the thing that everyone's been talking about for for centuries or even millennia. It's, it's actually this chemical that comes out of the blood. And obviously, if you've um, if you're you know being tortured or if you're going through some kind of high impact stress, your body is releasing way more adrenaline than a normal person. So this is where some of that mythology of like you have to torture someone in order to extract more adrenochrome and yada yada. Um, so so there might be a little bit uh, truth to this, uh, but it's simply in the fact that you know your body will go into overdrive and produce more adrenaline. And and here's where adrenochrome starts to kick in so first of all adrenochrome was detected in the 1930s i think it was your 31 or 33 um and it was a guy that was doing experiments on rabbits which is an interesting little tidbit here because you always see adrenochrome and the rabbit connection it's not just q and on that that came up with that that's where it was actually found from i think that's a coincidence but i mean what what are coincidences once you find like five or six or seven in a row right so so first of all it was on rabbit experiments and the guy realizes that adrenaline or this this liquid that was coming through the arteries it would be clear until it hit the air and started to oxidize and then it turned into like a reddish orangish kind of hue and that's where it got its name from so adrenochrome chrome meaning color and adreno meaning something that originates from the adrenal glands so adrenochrome basically breaks down to the color of the adrenal glands and this is where that word came from somewhere in like the 1930s an American doing experiments on rabbits says, oh, I'm going to call this stuff 
adrenochrome and it was kind of like hypothesized. It was literally a dude that was just like doing weird shit with rabbits in his workshop. It wasn't like in a, in a crazy, you know, laboratory and they were, they were ready to make new discoveries and list them. He was just, Oh, that's an interesting thing. We're going to call this, this. Um, so that's where the name kind of originally comes from. And as soon as they had a name for it, then they knew how to isolate it. So this is going to tie back into schizophrenia they start noticing, we're going to start just taking blood of all these schizophrenic patients. We're going to look for adrenaline. We're going to look for all kinds of other things. You know, it's at the cusp of all this new technology, 1900s. It would have been a scary-ass time to find yourself in a hospital with doctors like, oh, let's try something new. You know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was easy to get in one of those back then, those psych wards, oh, man. Depression. Almost anything. Yeah, you, you say, hey, man, I'm not, I'm not feeling like myself. Oh, come right here. Yeah. They shock you. They like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, dude, it, w- it wouldn't have been a good time. So, so, so one of the things that they find though, is that a a large number of schizophrenic dementia, Alzheimer patients, like people that fell into this concept of dementia precox that I mentioned earlier, they would have consistently like four to 10 times the amount of adrenochrome in their blood levels at all times compared to a normal person. So this is again in like the 1930s or so, and they're realizing, Hey, adrenochrome might be the thing that's making these schizophrenics act weird, you know? So maybe if we could reduce the adrenochrome in their blood, they'd start acting normal. So they start doing blood transfusions, but then some, some crazy scientists are like, well, what about the opposite? You know, could I take high levels of adrenochrome in blood and give that to a normal person? Or can I just isolate adrenochrome and give that to a normal person and have them act like, uh, you know, crazy schizophrenics. So that that's where adrenochrome and psychedelics and all of this kind of like comes into to play. This is around 1930s or so. Man, <laughs> it just trips me out because that's crazy because of the whole like when you said, yeah, because of course there's going to be a guy that's like, yeah, yeah let's try it the, the other way. The guy in the back like, with the clipboard, right? He's like, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> there's always and, that and guy. So, so here's here's where the conspiracy stuff starts to go wild, right? If In case the needle was just kind of like dancing, here's where it like hard lines and it turns up to 11. So they're at one of these meetings or one of these conferences and someone's talking about oh, we, you know, notice these high levels of adrenochrome and, and whatever. And someone's like, oh, you know, could we maybe make someone go crazy using adrenochrome? Well, that guy in the background with the clipboard happened to be at the uh, the Supreme Council for the Scottish Rite, um, Southern Jurisdiction. And basically the guy's saying like, you know what, we're going to fund that research. We're just going to start pumping as much money as you guys want to find out. In fact... The Scottish Rite makes it their sort of mission as a as a nationwide um, structure that they're going to focus on dementia precox specifically. They're going to go and put all of their money that they're raising through all their dues and everything else is going to go into schizophrenia research. Is a Scottish Rite, and and this is very easy to show. You can see that almost every single schizophrenia, dementia, mental illness research program from the 1930s until right around the late 1940s. Uh, was all funded by the Scottish Rite. You'll see the same names pop up, uh, Dr. Nolan and a whole bunch of others, Abram Hoffer. Um, and then you'll see at the bottoms, it's always like, you know, I want to thank the Scottish Rite, you know, Southern Jurisdiction, Supreme Council, 33rd degree, blah, 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 blah. You'll just see it start popping up all over the place. And when their names disappear, when the Scottish Rite name disappear off the end of those checks, 
the very next name that shows up on it is CIA MK Ultra. So it was just a passing of like, yo, do you want to grab the bill? You know, I've been paying, I've been grabbing the tab for the last 20 or 30 years. Why don't you guys start grabbing the tab? And that's kind of essentially MK Ultra was the financial lifting or the passing of that, that baton from the Scottish Rite Freemasons into the CIA. It was the exact same research, the same people, the same studies, everything. Just rebranded, right? Like rebranded into different projects and different names. Well, now, and now it's official. Now it's no longer like a, like a public, quasi-private, like instead of them giving these, delivering these reports to the Freemasons, now it's like national security. So now nobody can know about the research. And I think that, again, that's not just a coincidence. It's not just like, you know, we're going we're gonna to stop funding this. I think someone was like, whoa, we're starting to get into some really dicey areas here like the type of research that they were doing with mescaline and adrenochrome and a number of others you know lsd and all these other substances they realize like oh crap like we're killing people let's give this to the military because if they kill people at least they can kind of you know get out of it but the freemasons probably didn't want a whole bunch of uh, body count on their names at that point you were talking about when the cia took over and how that made it more official well let me ask you this though because and this is pretty recent like 2018, uh, with that uh, company Ambrosia that started uh, doing all the clinical testing on basically taking young blood and transfusing it into older people, yep. and it was supposed to help them with like Alzheimer's and cancer and some of that stuff. Do you think that that is kind of the next phase, is moving it even more into a public space in more of a accepted space. Yeah, dude, hundred percent. I mean, they make a joke on that in the uh, Silicon Valley TV show too. Yeah. yeah. In, in one of the later yeah. seasons that the, the guy that uh, Gavin something or other, he kind of represents like a Bill Gates slash Steve jobs guy. He just has like an 18 year old, like varsity kid. That's just like, constantly connected with an IV. So like you're in a meeting and the kid's just like there, you know, you know, playing switch or whatever, like on TikTok, but he's just like hooked up with a transfusion. Uh you also got all the celebrities to talk about like the stem cell uh foreskin gels they put on their face for anti-aging properties. Here's that connection that you were talking about the queens that would like bathe in the blood of the servants and all these other stories of like um elites kind of like eating people. This is where that comes from. It comes from that same concept of uh, like like living forever by bathing in blood and, and ingesting the the flesh and the blood of children and you know youth essentially. Uh, children just are representative of that youth. But here we've got modern day is like scientific proof and the actual practical application of that in just modern times. So now we've we've kind of advanced enough where like okay, I don't have to kill your baby and eat it but I'm going to hook your baby up to my arm with this IV. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so, and, and, and they probably would like it, if like right now you probably can only do it to people that are 18 and up that could donate plasma. Right. It's like, what's the difference if I connect myself to a machine or I connect myself to a billionaire, right? The billionaire is going to pay more than the freaking plasma machine where they give you like a cookie and 60 bucks at the end of it. Um, but it's like, could you imagine if that billionaire had access to like 20 babies, just have like 20 babies hooked up to his arm at any point. So, and this is where you get into the weirder pizza gate, adrenochrome theories. And it's not because I think that they're actually, you know, um, torturing children or they're drinking adrenochrome directly from children and stuff. 
but the concept of living forever and having a crazy psychedelic experience and the fact that they they play around in these weird art worlds where people truly simulate and mock you know child sacrifice and they say oh it's just an homage to you know older society and civilization and how dare you be so offended by my art and again that that dynamic i mentioned before where it's like the guy in the corner is like well i actually do want to eat babies but like i'm gonna see how this plays out if you guys can make it seem like it's acceptable then maybe i'll just like sneak in at the right time when the lights are low and just like have a quick snack and pop back out and no one will know the difference and i think that that's that's the realm where QAnon and Pizzagate kind of live. They live in that that uh, sort of like speculative, who's that guy in the corner? You know, who's Podesta? Who's Hillary Clinton? Like, what are they going to do? Because to put the Hillary Clinton one to, to bed here, I would hope that if she's drinking the blood of babies, that she would look way better than, than she does, right? It's not like <laughs> she looks like, you know, she's going to be living forever. If you want to point a finger somewhere... Throwing it like Wesley Snipes or throwing it like like some kind of black don't crack, you know, celebrity that's like, oh, how old are they again? You know, <laughs> oh, I got a little pushback. I got a little pushback. What if Hillary would look worse, though? Like, what if that <laughs> is good? Like, you know what I mean? Like, it could be there could be a worse outcome for us. We're like, whoa, no, take it back. <laughs> I mean, like, careful what we wish for. <laughs> yeah, the Wesley Snipes thing is hilarious, man. He was in uh, what was that? What's that vampire show? It's really funny. It's Blade? No, nah, it's made in New Zealand. Uh, what They Do in the Shadows. You guys uh, ever yeah, seen yeah. that show? Yeah, of course. Man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there was like a whole scene where they were they were meeting in New York and like he was a part of it and he was really a daywalker <laughs> yeah. and they were talking to him about how he drank blood and stuff. So yeah, I, I do think that sometimes maybe these guys really do and then they get in these like movies and shows and they just play kind of what they do already well so <laughs> so let me let me start blowing your minds a little bit because this is where this is where like the fiction uh starts turning into reality again and again why this is such a fascinating topic so one of the original og researchers like the very first guys that were doing adrenochrome research and saying like let's give this to pigeons and dogs and cats and rats and people and and record their experiences so one of those big names was Abram Hoffer. Um, another one was uh, Dr. Osmond. Um, and th these are kind of like the two names that come up consistently. And th they also have like this Kevin Bacon sort of like degrees of separation to Aldous Huxley, where one of their research partners is the one that turned Aldous Huxley onto mescaline and probably let him know about adrenochrome to even begin with. And it came from this tiny little circle of Abram Hoffer who was funded by the Scottish right. So, all, so it's like the, this line, it seems like it meanders, but it's a straight thread that goes through all these people. You just got to know the names and the dates and everything. And I got them all. I got the names, the dates, and the events. So Abram Hoffer also is related. Um, he's the guy that, that gave us fortified vitamins. So when the people like blend the Cheerios and they take the magnet and they see all the filaments and all the, the enriched everything, that came from Abram Hoffer's uh, research. Like he's the guy that's kind of behind a lot of that. Um, and another thing that's interesting here is that um, Abram Hoffer started and, and did all these adrenochrome research. Well, he continued doing adrenochrome specific research up until the mid 2000s. And in one of his latest papers and summaries, he goes into how adrenochrome might have some kind of fundamental uh play in the psychedelic experience period because he found people that were non-responsive to LSD. So someone that took like four or five times the dose 
that would normally give you a subjective experience that everyone knows about, they would just be a hardhead. They would just sit there sober, nothing going on. And he found when he gave those people just a tiny bit of adrenochrome, all of a sudden it unlocked that experience and bam, they were on their LSD trip. So it might not be that adrenochrome itself is what's giving you the psychedelic experience. It's the thing that facilitates it or enables it or, you know, just lets you have that experience. Um, and, and this goes even further because they were also able to determine that adrenochrome itself does have some kind of hallucinogenic properties. Cause at the end of world war one, we had a whole stockpile of the newly discovered adrenaline and they would just give it out to soldiers that were going into epilepsy, you know, all kinds of like, um, uh, insulin shock or like other issues where you would just need a boost of adrenaline. But the older ones that were sitting in the back of the, the cargo planes for a while and just kind of like started to deteriorate, they would turn pink. And there were all these reports at the tail end of World War One of soldiers that reported taking pink adrenaline that started having hallucinations. And that, like I said before, adrenochrome, the name is the, the, the color of adrenaline, essentially. So that pink adrenaline, that was adrenaline decomposing into adrenochrome. And then when the soldiers would take that now adrenochrome rich solution, they would start tripping out. So 100%... Like with without any debate or doubt, and you can look at all the papers, adrenochrome is psychedelic. It does have hallucinogenic properties. Um, it's just not like a necessarily a strong or desirable enough version of it that it's like a popular street drug. But when you're saying like it's a hallucinogen, like you know how like uh, you know you could smoke weed and you could be like people are like, oh, this has a head high, this has a body high. Now, what if like that adrenochrome is is this psychedelic that also affects the mind? It might not seem as you know intense, you know, as other things, but your body is going through. Where adrenaline in general, you you know when your adrenaline's pumping, you get stronger. You you know your your reflexes sometimes can be fat. You're in this zone that flight fight or flight mode. So is it possible maybe that it is a psychedelic, but in a, like almost like a super soldier like serum type of way? It it's all connected, man. We're we're inching towards it. So. So yeah, so adrenaline and adrenochrome are would might as well be the same thing when it comes to the human body. So you get into that fight or flight mode anytime. I'll start with this. Right now, we all have adrenochrome in our blood, measurable traces of it. Um, so it's not like this this mystical element that only shows up in you know like in, in times of full moons or anything. We all all three of us have adrenochrome right now in our bloodstream. Whenever you have a huge spike in adrenaline whether it's because a bear's attacking you or you just took a line of coke at like the you know like a, a VIP party or something whatever you did to cause your body to have this huge spike of adrenaline it now has to process that adrenaline if your body doesn't know how to process adrenaline fast enough you have a heart attack that's essentially what a heart attack is is that you overload your mitochondrial tissue with adrenaline it seizes up um and then you know you go to sleep and don't wake back up that's that's what happens but if you if your body is able to process adrenaline quick enough to not let you die, which is most people, right? It The first thing it does is it breaks that adrenaline down and it breaks it down into adrenochrome along with adrenalutin and a whole bunch of other sort of like um, ancillary little byproducts. Um, but, but going back to Abram Hoffer's research, he basically postulates here that people that have schizophrenia that, that show these signs of dementia or even the case of temporarily when you're hallucinating, what's happening is that your body is just getting drenched with way more adrenaline than it normally can 
process. And instead of you having a heart attack, it breaks it all into adrenochrome. And that's part of what causes this like psychedelic experience. It's your body just dealing with way more adrenaline than it can handle. And instead of dying, you kind of trip out for a little while. Well, if you've got some kind of a permanent um, disability or if you went through a traumatic experience to where like it actually changed the chemistry of your brain, you might be going through that 24-7. Your body is always creating more adrenaline than it can handle. So you've always got these elevated amounts of adrenochrome in your system. So that this is all, you know, backed up by science is all true so far. And the, the thing where it gets crazy is that he kept doing these studies. The only person I'm aware of that kept doing adrenochrome related studies and the people that would were higher predispositions to schizophrenia and, you know, in other words, would always have higher levels of adrenochrome in their blood. They would also tend to not get cancer at nearly the, the same rates as anyone else. The cancer they did get wouldn't be malignant. So once it got treated and removed, it wouldn't come back. Um, they, he did studies on people that were lifelong smokers and found incredible statistics that showed the people that were getting lung cancer from smoking, uh, you know, from a lifetime. It was, uh, you know, a completely different story for people that had dementia or schizophrenia in their family. So, so basically his premise is that anyone that has evolved to be able to process adrenochrome and adrenaline faster than others are also, um, more resistant to cancers. They might also be resistant to things like the bubonic plague. So these massive worldwide pandemics that take people out, there's all sorts of evidence that if you can process more adrenochrome in your system than other people, then you can potentially live longer and make it through cancer and pandemics and yada, yada, yada. So there's this real connection to if I can train my body to process high amounts of adrenochrome, I can live longer. I can be resistant to disease. So now that lady bathing in blood and all these people, you know, eating the flesh of babies, it doesn't seem so crazy because there's science that actually backs up the fact that, you know, being able to process adrenochrome does make you perhaps live longer. And you're going to try a bunch of crazy ways, especially like, you know, find your own way to get that to happen. Cause maybe you can't do that or you're trying to get to that level. You might, that's when you get the whole eating babies and drinking blood because through trial and error, it's not like they just figured, like you said, science and it's through trial and error, like through the history of time, like that he got on, he used from work of other people's work. So definitely at times people were probably trying to get that ad adrenaline push but then it came into this lure of like a fountain of youth, which I've noticed happens a lot in like lately, especially like in uh, what kind of the Trump era of conspiracies that a lot of these conspiracies start me melting together. Like it's like you got this piece right here that is correct. You're not lying. This is a thing. You know what I mean? But then they connect it with something else that kind of switches it as well, you know? Yeah, for sure, man. Let's go. Uh, let's go a little bit deeper. Uh, you said uh, we're getting inching, inching closer. Um, to, you know, what we're talking about here. Uh, one of the things that I had done some digging on uh, was Robert Steele. He was a former CIA officer, and he came out during the International Tribunal for Natural Justice, and he talked about it in front of a group of people about how it is a thing that there are elites that are snatching up kids, torturing them, and drinking their adrenalized blood. He said that there are families that are breeding the children for the purpose of this abuse, too. 
And he said also that they're flying kids in by the boatloads into the country and also feeding them up to these elites, too. He said not just for sacrificial purposes or not just for sexual abuse, but for the sole purpose of using their adrenalized blood in their occult practices or, and a lot of times what I think as well, is to live longer. And a lot of that comes from like Ted Gunderson and um, uh, Ron, uh, what was his name? John DeCamp's work with like the Franklin scandal. And uh, so a lot of what uh, Robert David Steele mentions, I think builds on top of a lot of that. And he kind of, in my opinion, he, he kind of acted as like a larger vocal sort of bullhorn to take that conspiracy of silence type research and bring it to like a more modern stage. Now, he, I think he died. Uh, a few years ago and in his obituary like this is one of those interesting cases like so personally cards on the table i don't give a whole lot of credit to that particular person like that's one of the things that i write off i know about him i've got plenty of notes on him but i don't include that in like my big case to make of adrenochrome being this legit thing because there's so many other links that don't require the claims of of steel but um, it appears he really was legit a former Marine. He was a CIA case officer. He was co-founder of the U.S. Marine Corps intelligence activity um, and that he had worked on something called open source intelligence, OSINT. Um, so and he also tried to make the distinction that he called himself a reformer and not a whistleblower. Um, so like he, he definitely made these big waves and he gave a lot of credit because like you were saying, Oh, it's this ex CIA ex, you know, Marine that is saying this stuff is real. So it's an interesting character, but I, I, again, I don't even include it because it's hard to show where his sources came from outside of just saying, you know, trust me, bro, CIA, um, which it's almost like. Okay, so you're saying it's a psyop, but maybe the person saying it's a psyop is a psyop, but maybe that itself is the psy. You know what I mean? So because of that whole complex nature, it's like we're just going to put that one in like the maybe category and weigh all the other evidence outside of Robert Steele. So I'll, I want to show you a whole list of, of different claims too. Well, for me, real quick, uh, with Robert Steele, I feel like he was uh, pushed out there to give credence to QAnon movement. And then it was able to umbrella a lot of things into it to continue Cass Sunstein's whole little operation that Q was, you know, going on with that. And he gave it validation, almost like, you know, in wrestling when they're trying to get a wrestler <laughs> true, over, right? True. They get the, the superstar and they're like, all right, guy, man, you've been you've been here for a while. Let, let me let you get over. And you need him to catapult him because now the fans believe this is the guy that never loses. And you know what I mean? Once he loses, you now believe in this new character. And I think that's what his job was to catapult the whole QAnon movement into the, the uh, mass media. And he, that's why, like, they use what is true, but they get a little bit of that fantastical. You know what I mean? Because I, I, I think that it's true that people are getting, you know, adrenochrome and trying to maybe pump new blood in their bodies. And at one point, were they eating children? I'm sure of it. And I just don't think if it's as relevant as today. There's an interesting dynamic here that's worth pointing out. And that's like, well, why did the Scottish right care about dementia and schizophrenia and all this? And why would elites care about this? And the reason is because with all the resources in the world, uh, schizophrenia and, and dementia and a lot of, of these like mental diseases, it affects the, the high society just as much as any other class. And this is one of those things that like you couldn't buy your way out of with the best treatment in the world. Once it started to set in, 
it was almost like, damn, dude, you know, we got to write him off. And if you're talking about your 20 year old son, where it's very atypical, if it's grandpa, it's like, all right, you know, grandpa lives in the attic. Now, if you hear the bell, bring him something to eat. Otherwise, you know, grant like grandpa doesn't live here anymore. But if it starts happening to the young kids are supposed to like go out into the world and continue the legacy and like build up your, you know, your family name and everything that all of a sudden becomes a concern. So rich people, like, you know, it's one of those things like it affects rich people. Okay. Now it's a real problem. Now we're going to see the Rockefeller foundation spark up. Now we're going to see the, the Josiah Macy foundation. We're going to see cybernetics pop up. Like all of, all of the psychedelic research and cybernetics. And I would even argue a lot of like the artificial intelligence it all kind of ties to old pe- or, um, rich people getting scared that they too can be affected by schizophrenia and dementia. So that's, that's why they care about it. So on that same note, it's like, if you hear that it might have a 1% possibility that if I, you know, go to one of these spirit cooking parties and I drink the blood that like they serve after 3am when everyone else goes home, right? If I get to go into the back room with the other five people that are allowed, uh, why not give it a shot? You know, it's like I've I've done crazier things with my money. I'm already here. Uh, if this is the place to do it, it's a life experience. If it's nothing else, and I think that there, that's probably like the the real aspect of where this stuff, where the rubber hits the road. I think you know. And they say it's an art. It was an art uh, experiment, right? Yeah, it might 100%. have been real blood, but it was just for art. <laughs> <laughs> and if you and if you criticize it. You're a bigot that hates art. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that's pretty much like that's right. And the- and if the artist, you know, doesn't identify as like a traditional person, now it's like, oh, you just don't appreciate the art because you don't like the artist because the artist is too progressive for you. Like it turns into this whole like, you know, litmus test experience where, oh, you don't like what I'm doing. Well, why don't you like what I'm doing? Maybe you're the problem here and not me. And that that redirection, it's like that Jedi mind trick. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's why one of my favorite Simpsons episodes is uh, where Homer becomes an artist. Like he's just like trying to build a barbecue set, a brick barbecue set. And then he just like can't. And he's just beating the crap out of it, fucking it all up. And it's everywhere. And then these artists come be like, hey, who did that? You know what I mean? He's all, it's on the side of the road as trash. And they're like, and then he becomes a famous artist of that. And they're like, yeah, his aggression. And to me, if I'm like, if you got to super explain it, like, I don't know. Like, I love art. Like, I go to the DIA out here all the time. And I love seeing, like, and just thinking, like, what did they use for paint and this and that? But some of this, like, concept art and, like, where it gets into, like, the greatest, though, is the scammers, man. The guys that are like, hey, here's this invisible statue, like, 500 grand, bro. Like, and then someone's like, all right, I'll take the invisible the scammer statue. Has clothes, like, or it's right. almost like, you're almost talking about <laughs> NFTs at this point, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Well, man, it's it's been great, man. I think you killed it, bro. Like, you came on here, you slaughtered, man. You you. I like when people are able to, like, logically break things down and show their their homework, man. If you show your homework, then, like, it's cool because who go fact check it. You know what I'm saying? But before we get out of here, Thomas, can you let everybody know again where they can find you and catch all your stuff? Yeah, def, man. You can, you can catch me at uh, ParanoidAmerican.com. I'm holding up the Paranoid pamphlet. This is a... Uh a little booklet that's based on Chick Track that breaks down the whole history of MK Ultra from paperclip all the way to modern day. Bluebird, it's got, you know, uh, Ted Kaczynski, it's got JFK assassination, all the things we were trying to do with Castro, give him LSD, give him thallium to make his beard fall out so he would look effeminate in front of his people. Um, everything. We were talking before too about the government killing people. Here's an example Herod Blower, 
1987, his family was awarded $700,000 because they gave him basically um, like 10 times the fatal dose of ecstasy. They, they gave that to him because he checked himself in for depression because he got a divorce. <laughs> so this dude, he was a world-known uh, tennis player, gets divorced, has depression, and then they immediately just give him a fatal dose of MDMA as part of MK Ultra. And you can read all about that at mkultracomic.com, whole bunch of other comics. And I got to give a shout out again to uh, The Chosen One. If you go to Kickstarter, you can sign up for issue two. That's the one that I'm doing with uh, Juan and a whole bunch of other characters. We've got, uh, I think Sam Tripoli is in the next issue. Uh, Alex Stein's in the next issue. A whole bunch of, of fun characters. So um, check me out there. Check me out on social media. I've been doing pretty much Instagram has been taken over by AI generation. So I've just been doing AI generated videos, art. Joel mentioned we did the eat video. A whole bunch of other ones coming out on top of that one. So yeah, Paranoid American, Paranoid American, Paranoid American. And you could catch us soon to be killthemockingbirds.com but for now go to kill the mockingbirds podcast on instagram kill the mockingbirds on telegram sean chris joel thomas on all music streaming platforms and don't forget you can leave us a five star right now i mean you already enjoyed a great episode might as well just leave a nice review with a five star or two apparently right you can leave more than one yeah, if you could double up, double up. Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, I uh, just finished texting Jen Saki right now, and I told her that this whole adrenochrome thing, she doesn't need to sweat it. We're redheads. We're gingers. We already have the gene of Isis. Like, our beautiful, pure-blooded, red-headed Nephilim child will be perfect and will live forever. You know... They used to forge uh, swords in the urine of redheaded children as well. Yes! You hear that before? It's That's that, true. Because it's that pure. Even our <laughs> piss is pure. This is what I'm talking about. This is why we got Thomas on the show today to, to make me look better. That's what I'm talking about. Look it up, dude. That's cra- it's crazy. That's true, too, man. <laughs> well, you know how we do it here. Wake the fuck up or get woke the fuck up. Brat! Bird killers! Blaze down a dirt road Feel the heat of the night Which way do I go?
through this desolation Mountains in the distant scene Trouble seems to follow me That's why I bite my name Orange mixed in the horizon Texas margarita This road is long 